Thanks for listening to Connection Church's podcast. Today's message is a part of our series, A Better Story. Growing up, we have been told to make our own way, to write our own story. But few of us realize that God has a better story for us. Our prayer is that you come to the understanding that God has the pen in his hand and he is continuing to write a better story for you. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Y'all would tell me like if somebody was behind me, wouldn't you? Seriously. Yeah, this is a guy. Man, what's he doing with his sword? His sword has gotten all. okay. well, he's got a sword um, and we're going to talk about this guy in a little bit. Um, We're trying to name him. Haven't been able to come up with a good name. You think of a good name for this guy. Send it to me. Um, Love to hear it. But uh, we'll just call him Brandon. How about that? Good name. We'll go by that. Uh, But we'll be talking about him in just a little bit. First, I want to welcome you to uh, Connection Church. If you're a first timer or and you've been coming for a while, we're thankful you're here, praying the same thing we pray every week, that God does something awesome and incredible in your life in the next few minutes as we look into God's Word. Um, real quick, I do want to celebrate a few things. Last month was the first month that we've ever averaged over a thousand people attending our weekly services at Connection Church, and that's pretty awesome, and the reason it's awesome is not because it was over a thousand people, but because over a thousand people who came walking through the doors um, on average on Sunday, uh, each person has a name and each person has a soul, and every soul spends eternity somewhere, and we were able to pour the gospel into their lives and encourage them in their faith journey, and so that is absolutely awesome. We've seen multiple people um, go from death to life through salvation. We baptized 27 people a couple of weeks ago. Um, as uh, they, they profess their faith in Christ. Today we get to baptize more people after this service, and I uh, can't wait to see that and see people um, as we celebrate going from death to life in Jesus and experiencing um, the abundant life that he has for us, man. And that's what this whole series is about, is about experiencing a better story um, in our lives, the story that Jesus has for us, who, who has the best story for us. Um, and so I appreciate all of you folks who have helped to, to write this story through this church, to help to impact people by your serving and your giving and everything that you've done because it's making a difference and people's lives are being changed and people are truly finding out what it means to be set free um, by God's truth um, through the power of his gospel. And so thank you, whether you serve in kids, whether you serve in the parking lot, whether you serve as a greeter, whatever you do, thank you, thank you, thank you for doing that because it is making a huge difference and it is creating a better story not just in connection but in this community and um, I don't want you to ever feel like uh, it doesn't make a difference because it absolutely is so we're thankful for you um, also today as we continue this we're going to be in Genesis chapter 1 to start out so if you have your Bibles you can be turning there I want to try to catch us up real quick if you haven't been here I'd encourage you to go back and listen to the first three messages in this series because these do build on each other um, and, uh, but so far we've been looking at the life of Joseph. Um, today we're going to drop back and look at the, the very beginning of the Bible, our original parents, Adam and Eve. Um, and then we're going to, uh, skip forward into the New Testament a little bit and learn how we fight, um, for the identity that, that God's given us. Through Joseph, we learn that, um, all of the experiences of our life, whether they're good or they're bad, teach us a truth about ourselves. Um, some of us can think back to a major event in our life that happened that uh, maybe in a tragedy, it may have been something somebody did to us, um, it may have been something we did to someone else, and that event has defined our lives. It's spoken uh, uh, a truth into our heart that uh, has began to write a story in our lives. For some of us, it's been culture. We believe 
the lies that culture have told us. And through that, our experiences have, have uh, began to shape how we see ourselves or who we should be. Um, also, there, there, the influences in our lives, like our, our parents or maybe a coach or teachers, they've impacted our lives, created us in a way um, that we see ourselves. And there's a truth, a little t truth that's been written in our heart that tells us a story about who we are. Last week, what we began to see is that that little t truth cannot stand up against the big t truth of God's story for us. And, and what we need to begin to see is that uh, Satan's greatest weapon is condemnation. His greatest weapon is to keep us in our guilt and our shame and not allow us to see who we are in Christ. I don't necessarily believe, um, I believe that the greatest fear of Satan would be that we would discover who we are in Jesus. Because when we begin to see who we are in Jesus, we'll begin to live like uh, the person Jesus tells us we are. And, and, and it becomes an unstoppable force that becomes contagious to everybody around us and people desire to know him. And Satan can't stand it. And so today, this is what we're going to do, because here's where I know a lot of people are, because this is where um, people have been telling me they are, is you've come in the last three weeks, and we've talked about how we're free in Christ, how there's no condemnation, how we've been set free, there's a better story for us, and we all amen it, and then we go eat lunch, and after lunch, we're like, okay, I don't feel that anymore, right? That's about how fast it happens. If not that fast, then certainly by Monday morning when the alarm clock goes off and we realize it's another week and we go back into the same environment and the same experiences, begin to speak that same little T truth into our lives, we begin to just go, okay, I'm right back where I was. And then that becomes frustrating, right? It just gets aggravating because you stay there and and it seems like you can't escape that place. But today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about how we fight to stay in that identity that Jesus gives us. We're going to talk about how we fight to live out of the truth that God's put into our hearts. And what you're going to see is that our battle is not for an identity. The battle is to live out of the identity that Jesus has already given us. Okay, so listen, turn to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to read verse 26, and we're going to skip over to chapter 3, read a couple of verses. We're going to pray, and we're going to get going. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Over in chapter 3. Satan comes in, he begins to question what God told Adam and Eve. Um, He begins to tell them, like, did God really say you can only eat out of that tree? Because God's like, Adam, Eve, listen, you can live in paradise, you can live in a perfect relationship with me, just don't eat out of that tree, right? Simple enough. And Satan comes in, he begins to challenge what God said, he begins to challenge God's word, and he begins to make them think that there's possibly a better story that we could be writing, or that maybe God's holding out on us and is not giving us the best possible story we could have and they begin to struggle. Listen to this. Satan says this to him. You will, sure, you will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, the fruit, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Now flip over. This is after um, they've sinned, after they've been disobedient. God does this. It says that the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and Eve, his wife, and clothed them. In other words, he made a sacrifice and he gave them fur coats to cover up their nakedness that they now realize they had and their shame and their guilt. And he's still showing them grace and mercy as he makes this sacrifice of an innocent animal to cover their guilt and their shame. In verse 22, he says, and the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat 
and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. I thank you for every heart that's in here right now, every soul, God, and I pray that you would speak to them. I pray that their identity in you would become very clear. And God, I pray we would realize we have a God, a mighty Father, who, who is fighting for us, God, who has given us weapons to war with, weapons to win this battle, weapons to live in the abundant life of Jesus. God, I can't speak this into their heart, but you can. Holy Spirit, please come now and speak into their lives and let them walk out of here knowing who they are and ready to combat the forces of evil that would come against them and tell them a lie. Lord, I love you and I thank you for your truth in Jesus and I thank you that he is here now and I thank you that he is powerful. Have your way in our hearts, Lord. Amen. Amen. Hey, um, y'all know I love baseball. Dake had an opportunity um, yesterday, as a matter of fact, to go and play in a uh, baseball tournament. It was his first um, time playing in the whole tournament. He played in a couple of live pitch games um, a while back, but he's always done pitch machines. This is his first time to be able to get into a live pitch tournament. Um, and, and so it's just a whole new deal. He's always just played on the pitch machine. Here's his opportunity to go play live pitch with some older kids. And I um, mean, it was awesome. And um, so we get over there and the day's going along, day's going along. And we had talked about how cool would it be if you got to pitch today? And he was like, that'd be awesome, daddy. And so they're like, all right. So we go through and it's like, maybe if we get up big on a team, we'll be able to get you in the game. And so we end up getting up nine to nothing on this team. Um, and Dake is finally like, can I, can I pitch? Can I pitch? And so the coach, the head coach, he goes, yeah, Dake, you go in and pitch next inning. And so Dake's like, oh man, this is going to be awesome. This is going to be so good. And he was so excited. And he gets up there and, you know, I'm taking pictures and, and, uh, Susan couldn't be there. She was the other two boys. So I'm taking pictures. I'm sending pictures. I'm like, he's pitching. He's like, it's great. He's a left-hander, so he takes and he winds up and he throws the first pitch of his life. Never thrown a pitch before in his entire life. And he throws a strike. The only problem is it went out of the ballpark. The boy, if the fence was 200, the boy hit it like 230. He killed it. And it wasn't one of these like little, little line drives. It was like high and far. And, and, and that moment, like in that instance, you're like in that, that moment right there, you're like, as a dad, you're trying to go, okay, how do I handle this? Like you see the ball in the air and you're like, that is not staying in the park. How do I handle this? And so I just laughed. I didn't know, I didn't know what else to do. And so I just start laughing. I'm bent over laughing. I mean, it was funny. How many times has it happened that the very first pitch you ever throw ends up going over the fence the wrong way, right? It was, it was funny. And so I'm like, okay, how's he going? I'm like, ha ha ha. How's he going to do with this? And, and so then he sees me laughing. He starts laughing. And, um, and his teammates come over there laughing. So we just all laughed. And then he comes back and he struck out the next two batters. So it was really cool to see that he like, didn't just melt out there. And he, he came back and he fought back and he did good. And uh, I was thinking about that, though. And I was thinking about how Dake, for the rest of his life, like his first pitch was a home run, right? I mean, you can't change that. And I was thinking about when we were kids and, and we, we would play games and if there was an argument or something happened that we did, we disagreed on, there was a word that we would use that, and maybe two words, I don't know if you hyphenated, I'm not sure, okay? But, but there was a word we would use if something happened, you know, a bad a pitch, you know, uh, that was argued or the ball hit the power line or whatever happened. There was a word we would use that would solve the argument and keep peace on the playground, right? And that word was do-over. 
do over. Like, no, that ain't right, that ain't right. Do over, do over, do over. And we would just do it again, right? It means exactly what it sounds like. You just do over whatever you just did. And so we'd do a do over. And I thought about that. I was like, I bet Dave would like a do over right now. Like, throw a ball, hit him, whatever. Just don't give up a home run your first pitch. And so um, the ball goes out of the park. And I was thinking about the do over. And I was thinking about how much I would have liked for him to have a do over. And I was thinking about how much he would have probably liked to have had a do over. And then I started thinking about our original parents and how they probably would have liked to have had a do over. Don't you think? Like, don't you know when their teeth sank into that apple or that fruit, whatever it was, that, 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 and their eyes were open and they looked at each other like, <gasps> and realized they were naked. They're like, this is, this is bad, right? Don't you know that they would have liked to have a do-over? The Bible tells us that Satan comes in and he's cunning and he's crafty and he begins to tell them, you can have a better story apart from God. God's holding out on you. He's not going to write the best story for you. He's holding out on you. He just knows that if you eat this, you're going to be like him. And he doesn't want that. But the Bible also tells us we were created in his image, in his likeness. They were already like God. They were created in the image of God. They were not God, but they were created in his image. They were created to reflect God's glory, to reflect his image, and to multiply that throughout the world. Our purpose has not changed. We're called to do the same thing. But Adam and Eve bought into the lie that there was a better way other than God's way. How true is that for us in our lives, that we've tried other ways, thinking that they would promise something that they never could fulfill? You see that Eve just says she saw the fruit. I would tell you what she saw was an illusion, that that fruit can never do for her what she thought it could do. Isn't that the nature of sin? That it tells us one thing, it promises one thing, but it never delivers. That we try to find our identity apart from God. We try to live in an identity apart from God. And it never works because it can't. Adam and Eve sin and that sin mars their image and it mars their image of the likeness of God in them and the glory of God that was upon them and they get put out of the garden. They can no longer stay in the presence of a holy and righteous God because they were not holy and righteous and God puts them out of the garden. And this is what I believe in all my heart. I believe this, that from that moment, from that time when Adam and Eve were put out of the garden, as bad as they wanted a do-over, there could not be a do-over. And as bad as they wanted to be in the presence of God, they could not be in the presence of God. And I believe that for the rest of humanity's history, we have sought to discover our identity. I've told you this already in this series, but I want to tell you again. Identity is not an issue. It is the issue. It is what was lost in the garden. As we were separated from our image bearer, we can no longer see who we truly were. We can no longer see ourselves as Christ. We can no longer see ourselves as humanity. Until Jesus comes on the scene thousands of years later, it is impossible for us to know what we're supposed to look like. It's impossible for us to know who we are in Christ unless we look at Jesus. It's impossible for us to know God apart from Jesus. Yet Jesus says that he will give us a better story. I believe and I know that from that moment of separation from the image bearer, it was impossible for mankind to know who they were. And we have been scouring the earth, trying every experience possible, trying everything we could possibly get our hands on to fill the void that was left from that separation. The good news of Jesus is this, that the Bible says at the right time, God sent his son into the world that he could reunite us with himself that we could once again see who we are in Christ. That's good news. That's the good news of the gospel that Jesus took our sin from us so that now we can go into the presence of a holy God. 
But here's the thing for us who are in Christ, for those who in here who have faith in Jesus, the problem is not us battling and gaining an identity. The problem is us living out of the identity we've already been given. When I was about eight years old, um, I, I lived in Noonan, Georgia. Some of y'all, somebody probably from Noonan, Georgia. I run into people all the time from Noonan, Georgia. Um, changed a lot since I was there. It was like 1849 or something when I lived in Noonan, Georgia. It seems like it was a long time ago. And, um, but we lived there and I had a friend that lived down the street from me. He lived like two, three houses down the road from me. His name was Joseph Gordy. Joseph, if you ever listen to this, hello. I'm assuming you're in jail. I don't know. But if not, hey holler. You know, I'd love to talk to you, catch up, see what you're doing. Um, he's either catching bad guys or is a bad guy. I don't know which one he is today, but um, he, was, he was a good friend of mine, probably my first best friend. And uh, we, we were playing uh, one day in the yard, uh, the side yard that was between our houses and, and we were playing. And, and I can't even remember what the argument was about, but we began to argue with some boys who were older than us, a little bigger than us. And so we had this argument, this playground argument kind of thing going on. I thought it was over. We go back, um, go home that night, come back. The next day, um, we're coming back. I'm coming back from his house to my house. There's only a couple of doors down. I'm walking back. I'm probably eight years old. I hear something behind me, turn around, and it's one of those bigger boys. And here's what happens. He proceeded to beat the mess out of me, right? All I know is I turn around and there's this kid's like, ah! And he hits me, knocks me down, literally sits on my stomach and begins to hit me it, with his fist in my eyes. It was like light, then dark, light, then dark, light, then dark. And it was, it was like painful strobe lights. That's the only thing I know to describe it as. It was like, bah, 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 bah. and once he had finished beating me, um, and, and I didn't know what to do. I was just at his mercy. He just hit me and finally he got done. I guess his arms got tired. I don't know what happened. He gets up off of me and takes off. And so I'd like to tell you that I got up, knocked the dirt off and was like, come on back, sucker. I'm done with you. My face is going to beat your fist some more. Get back here, right? I'd like to tell you that that's what I did, but that's not true. Like I got up and I was like, ah, all the way home, man. I was just crying, ah. And so I run all the way back and, and I get there and, and I'm just, I mean, my eyes are swollen from getting beaten and they're swollen from crying and, and uh, so bad that the teacher was like investigating it. The next day she's like, what happened to you, son? I was like, I just got beat up, you know? And, um, and so it was bad, but he was older than me. I, I want you to know that he was older and he was bigger. And so that makes me feel better about the whole situation. But there's some things in that story um, and there's some things in our lives that we have to realize. And there's some things that the Bible tells us that we need to understand. And here's, here's, here's the first thing I learned from that. And, and one of the things that scripture teaches us is that we're in a fight. We're in a fight. One of the problems for me in that situation was I didn't realize I was even in a fight. I'm just walking home, going to get some dinner. And all of a sudden I hear, turn around, wham, right? And then I didn't even realize that I was in a fight. I think for a lot of us as Christians, we don't realize we're in a fight. We don't realize that there really is an enemy that comes after us who does not wish to hinder our lives, but wishes to destroy our lives. Wishes to take our life from us. Wishes not just to, to mess up a little bit of our life, but to completely consume the abundant life that Jesus wants us to have. There's a real enemy. First Peter 5, 8 tells us that. It tells us that Satan is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And it tells us in that scripture to be sober, to be vigilant, to be watchful, to be aware, to know there is an enemy. You are in a fight. You are in a war. But many of us are surprised by the battle. Again, our battle is not for our 
identity. We've been given an identity if we're in Christ that is Christ. The battle is to stay in that identity. And Satan comes to kill and to steal and destroy that identity. He comes to write a story on our hearts of truth with a little T. But the good news is we have the big T truth that can come and trump that truth. The word for devour in that scripture, it says he, he comes to devour us. It means to drink down, to swallow. He's saying he wants to swallow up the life that you have. He wants to consume you. He wants to take over you. We've got to understand that we are in a fight. Many of us don't realize it is a battle, that it is a fight. And, and we keep getting jumped by Satan. And he keeps coming at us with this identity issue that our, our experiences and our life has taught us. And we keep going back in the same pit. And, and he keeps jumping us with this same lie. And, and we begin to believe this thing, that this is just how I am. You may be 20, you may be 15, you may be 35, you may be 45. 85, I don't know. But here's the reality that we begin to believe. We begin to believe this is how I am. This is how I'm going to be. I would say that is a lie from the pit of hell. It's a lie from the pit of hell. One, because the Bible tells me it's a lie from the pit of hell. It tells me that I'm a new creation in Christ. It tells me that I have a new identity. And if I'll start believing that, then I'll start living that. We can't live out of the word until the word's living in us. You've got to receive it, you've got to accept it, you've got to know this is the greater truth. But we're in a battle, and the battle is to remain in this identity. We cannot remain ignorant. If we do not recognize that we are in a fight, we will sacrifice the abundant life and a better story that God wants to give us on the altar of ignorance. I'm telling you people, you are in a battle, but the war has been won, and you can win the battle. I know this Because one, it's in the Bible, it's scripture, it is the big T. And I also know it because it's true in my own life. I experienced this. And not 15 years ago, I experienced this daily. I've experienced it daily for about five months now. As I've had my own experience and come to my own understanding of the power of God's big T truth in my life. A Christian for over a decade, well over a decade. And yet just now discovering that John 8.32 is true, that I know the truth, and the truth will set me free. We can win the battle of identity when we fight. The second thing I'll tell you this is, one is we're in a fight. The second one is this, we've got to know how to fight. And I realized when that guy jumped me, I didn't know what to do, right? I didn't know like, I didn't know. You know, like, that didn't even come out yet, right? So I did not know what to do. He just jumped on me and started beating me up. I didn't know how to fight. What I find is most Christians don't know how to fight either. We don't know how to fight for our identity. We don't know how to fight to stay in that sweet spot with God where he's telling us who we are and we're living like he's telling us. Because we don't know how to win this battle. Paul tells us, let's fast forward a few thousand years here. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 10, a little bit about this battle and he tells us a little bit about what we've been given to fight with. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 3 tells us this. He says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive Every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Paul's telling us, listen, if you're going to fight, 
If you're going to know how to fight, you don't fight the way the world fights. Listen, you can't beat the world at its own game. You can't get so good in the world system that you defeat the system. Nobody has ever gotten to a place. In fact, if you look at the people who we would see as being the most secure, either financially or with fame or whatever it is, they're the ones who are searching the most. Hello, Hannah Montana, right? (laughs) Poor kid, got no idea. I didn't even know what twerking was until Hannah Montana, right? Yeah. You're talking about an identity crisis, right? And we applaud her identity crisis. You see, look at the picture. It was on foxnews.com. The picture of her with her rear end stuck out over the stage. And all you see are like guys' hands in the air. They're like, and we applaud it. It's just an identity crisis. Not knowing who she is, looking for something else. Hannah Montana died and now Mother Ray Cyrus don't know who she is. Right. (laughs) And so she's searching and there's no way you can achieve such a position in the world that it makes you okay. You're always going to question it. Because little t truth, what the world tells us, can never satisfy the longing for big t truth that we have. We've got to know, and we've got to know from the word of God. Paul says you can't win at the world's game. He says, but the weapons you've been given are able to tear down strongholds. You're able to take every thought captive. Strongholds are thoughts, ways of thinking, patterns of thinking about ourselves. They're patterns of thinking about others. They're patterns of thinking about the world that get in our mind. And we begin to believe those or those begin to take us captive. But Paul says the power of God is that he gives you weapons that are so powerful that they begin to free you so that you take the thought captive. The thought doesn't take you captive. Isn't that awesome? That's, that's what God does for us. He frees us to think a different way, to think differently about myself. So I'm no longer defined by my experience. I'm no longer defined what some jerk told me. I'm no longer defined by anything that's happened in my life. I'm simply defined by God's word. I'm not defined by divorce. I'm not defined by being sexually promiscuous. I'm not defined by an abusive parent. I'm not defined by rape. I'm not defined by molestation. I'm not defined by that. I'm defined by what Jesus says about me. And I've been set free from that so that I can live and find life abundant. Right now, there are people in here who you think that it is impossible to find abundant life. I would tell you, you are believing a lie that Jesus promised abundant life and you can have it. But this has to begin to trump everything that your experience tries to tell you. This is the big T. This is how we fight God's given us weapons, he says, that are powerful to tear down these strongholds, these things that those they, remember we talked about they, we do good until they show up or they call. We talked about them until we see them or we think about what we did with them or it. We think about what we did um, and and how it has affected us for all our lives. Those strongholds, they become formed by they and them and it. But the Bible says that the word is powerful to tear down those strongholds in our lives, that he's given us weapons that are effective against that against those strongholds but what are the weapons what are the weapons ephesians six ten begins to tell us about that flip over a few more books in the bible ephesians six ten begins to tell us this 
It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's scheme. So he says, listen, trust in the power. Be strong in the Lord. Here's, here's your armor. Here's your weapons. Here's the things that are going to help you win this battle for identity. He says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. What he's saying is you're not fighting the world system. You are fighting other forces. He's saying, listen, you you can't win in this world system. He's saying you may be bound to live in the world system, but you are not to be bound by the world system. It doesn't define you. That's not your fight. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith, which with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the word of God, or the, word, the sword... Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. He tells us that this is our armament. He tells us that these are our weapons. And he was using a physical illustration that everybody in that day and in that place would have been familiar with to illustrate a spiritual reality. And so I thought if Paul did it, why don't we do it? And so I brought with me my friend, my nameless friend who we call Brandon. And I brought this, this guy with me here because I want you to see something. This is what the people would have thought about. This is pretty similar to what an actual Roman soldier would have been wearing. And so Paul begins to refer to these things. He begins to refer to the belt of truth, right? It was buckled around his waist. It's interesting that this belt would have held the sword and it would have also held the righteous uh, or the, the breastplate, which he refers to as the breastplate of righteousness in place. It secured him. It held things together. It says put on the breastplate of righteousness. It protected his heart. It protected his organs. And it gave him um, some security in knowing that if something does come against me, I can still stand. He says, take the, 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 the shield of faith. It'll extinguish all the flaming arrows of the enemy. Take this shield of faith. This shield would have been literally his life support as he would have hidden behind it. It would have been much bigger than this. It would have been like a full full um, size a shield that would have protected him from arrows that the enemy was launching that would have been on fire. That would have set him on fire. He's saying, take this shield of faith that'll protect you. He says, put on the helmet of salvation. They wore the helmet of, obviously to keep their head from being damaged. But you know, we put on salvation. We put on the helmet of salvation so that we can begin to think differently. Those strongholds are being broken. We know I'm secure in salvation. My mind begins to be renewed. The Bible is true that when we come to faith in Christ, we're given a new heart, but it tells us that our mind is to be renewed. He's saying, put on the helmet of salvation. He says, your feet are fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And, and we begin to see that God has equipped us to go out into the world and carry his message. He says, take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. He's saying, here, I've given you this word for you to do battle with. The, the Greek word for, for word there is a word called rhema. There's another word called logos, which actually refers to the Bible as a whole. But this was rhema. And what it means is literally to take that part of the scripture that is applicable for your current situation and apply it. In our lives, we take the truth of God's word when Satan begins to fire his arrows and his lying accusations. We take the word and we pull out the scripture. And when we feel like we're not good enough, we go to the word and we find out that he's made us competent. 
When we feel like we're stuck in our guilt and our shame, we go to Romans 8, 1, and we come out of the pit because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And we begin to live as we are dressed in this armament, not as people who are running around naked, still trying to cover themselves with fig leaves. Hello, that's pretty good. And we begin to see ourselves in this way. Begin to be secure in the truth of God. Begin to be held by the truth of his word. Not just floating around, not here and not there by everything that everybody tells me. But I'm held together by his truth. And the big T truth begins to trump the little T experiential truth that's guided and directed my life. It no longer has a hold on me because there is a truth that is greater that has set me free. He's done that through Jesus. Here's the thing that's awesome. Here's the thing that's cool. This guy, as a member of of this Roman kingdom, he had been equipped by the king to go out and fulfill every task that the king sent him to do. He was fully equipped to carry out the mission. He was fully equipped not only to defend the kingdom, but to go out and advance the kingdom. What I would like for you to see today is no matter what your mind is telling you, if you will look into God's word and bring your life into accordance to God's word and simply receive what he says about you, you have been fitted perfectly with the armor of God, the righteousness of Jesus, the truth of Christ, the truth of his word to go out and fulfill everything that God has appointed you to do. That your feet have been fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And that you have a message that the world is dying to hear if you are in Christ. Carry it to the world. You are competent, not in and of yourself, but because of Jesus who has made you competent. Now begin to see yourself this way so that you can live this way and carry this great message, the greatest news that's ever been heard into the world. God has fitted us perfectly. He's given us this. And here's the thing. You come in here and it's easy for me to remind you of that on Sunday. But what do you do on Monday? What do you do on Tuesday? What do you do when you get in a fight with your wife? What do you do when your kids act up and you blow it and you lose it and your head spins around like you're in the exorcist? What do you do? What do you do when your boyfriend's being a jerk or he's telling you, I'm only going to stay with you if we have sex. If you don't have sex, I'm gone. Tell him to hit the road. I don't need you. Bye. We live, that, that, was, that was pathetic. We live, I'm telling you the greatest news that there's ever been, and I got a golf clap. That's, I, I'm taking offense at that. Yeah. But here's the reality. We've, we've got to come to a place where we begin to see this because if we're going to live out of this Monday If we're going to live out of this Tuesday, if we're going to go to bed and this is on our mind and we wake up and it's still in our heart and we got a battle, we've got a war. And I believe that the book of James begins to teach us about how we do this, how we consistently apply this truth. So flip over one more book. We may read one more scripture after this. Probably not. Um, Maybe. We'll see. Depends on how hungry I get. James chapter one, verse 19. I believe this is how we consistently apply it. He says this, my dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life of 
that God desires. The first word is huge in there. He says, everyone should be quick to listen. We got to hear. He says, be slow to speak. Basically, he's saying, listen more than you talk. I can't tell you how many people would seem more intelligent and more spiritual if they would shut up. Right? He's saying, listen more than you talk. It's the whole thing of being having two ears and one mouth. Listen more than you talk. He said, you've got to hear the word. You've got to consistently hear the word. We don't tell you to read your Bible because if you don't read your Bible, you're a bad Christian. We tell you to read your Bible because until the word begins to transform your mind and begins to live in your heart, you can't live as a Christian at all. This is the truth. You've got to live this way. You've got to see it. You've got to hear it. You've got to know it. You've got to read it. And don't tell me you can't understand it. I read a regular translation of the Bible to my 7 and 10 year old every night. They get it. They don't get every part. I don't get every part. But you know what I do? I get enough. God always shows me enough. So I can take one more step. And the reality is we've got to hear it. We've got to hear it consistently. The second part of this is some of us, we need to find Forgiveness. We need to find forgiveness for ourselves. Some of us in here today, we don't need to forgive somebody else. We need to forgive ourselves. And if Jesus has forgiven you, you can forgive you too. Some of us, we do need to forgive the they. We do need to forgive the them. For some of us, we need to let that go because we can't truly hear God when our hearts are consumed with anger and bitterness. Some of us need to and we need to find a way. And, and here's the way. You see the gospel. You see what you've been forgiven. And you can't hold on to the offense when you realize how great the offense you had against God was. We've got to make a choice to forgive. I have people all the time, well, well what, how many times do I forgive? I, the Bible says you just keep forgiving. How many times has Jesus forgiven us? We forgive. We forgive. We forgive. And we move on. It doesn't mean we forget. It doesn't mean we put ourselves in dangerous situations. But we forgive. And then we hear We hear. We hear the truth consistently. In verse 21, he says, Therefore get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. He's saying basically, leave this and turn to this. Now that you've heard the truth, turn to the truth and receive it. Accept it. He says it right there. Humbly accept the word. There is something about the gospel that when we see the gospel and we see what God's done for us, we can't help but humble ourselves. I'm standing right down here as we're singing how he loves and I'm thinking about the love of God and I've got tears flowing down my face because I'm thinking, God, how can you love me? But I know this, that the truth of God's word tells me God is madly in love with me. (laughs) That blows my mind. I'm a lunatic. But how awesome. I was to reach my arms up and my thought is just take me. Take me. Let me be with you. Oh my gosh. That God loves us. We receive that and accept it and live out of it. You cannot live out of love if you're not receiving love. God loves you. God wants a relationship with you. Well, preacher, you tell him he loves you and now you're just going to go out and live like hell. No, you won't. Not when the love of God gets a hold of you. God changes our heart, He changes our lives, and we begin to live a different life. Verse 22 says this, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. And then look at verse 25. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed. So we hear the word, we receive the word, then we do the word. We hear the word and the truth of who we are in Christ. We receive who we are in Christ and then we go out and we live like Christ. There's a natural progression in that. But there's two verses that are sandwiched between 
Verses 20, verse 22 and verse 25. You know what they are? Verse 23 and verse 24, right? I mean, come on, guys. It's not tough math. And this is what they say. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. He's saying, don't look into this book and forget who you are. I used to hear that through a filter of condemnation. I would read that and be like, that's exactly right, Lord. You're right. I can't look into this word and walk away and forget how bad I suck, God. I can't look into this word and walk away and forget that I'll never measure up. I can't look into this word and forget how imperfect I am and how perfect you are. I can't look into this word and walk away and think that I could actually do something for the kingdom. But now I hear it completely different. I realize that all all those things were true. And yet God, in his great grace and mercy, gave me a new identity through Jesus. He's given me that identity. And you know what I'm doing now? He's given me an identity that I'm going to spend the rest of my life growing into. And one day I'm going to stand before him. And it's going to be perfected for eternity. Not because of what I've done, but because of what he's done. Think about this Roman soldier, though. Think about this. This is an awkward moment for me. I just want you to know because I don't know where to grab this mannequin right to turn because if i turn here he falls apart if i turn here it's just weird but i'm gonna do this and i'm gonna turn him around he said uh, he apologizes he said he apologizes for turning his back on the congregation but what if this guy who's been equipped by the king to go out and carry out his mission turns and looks in the mirror and he sees all that he's been given. He realizes that he's been equipped and trained to go and to do what God's called him to do. And he looks in the mirror, but when he turns back around, he completely forgets who he is. I believe that's what happens to us so many times as believers. We look into the mirror We come to church on Sunday. We hear the truth about who we are. We hear the truth about what God says about us. And then we turn around and we walk away. And we forget who we are in Christ. The experiential truth begins to come back and tell us a lie. I would tell you don't look into the mirror of God's word and walk away and not do it because you don't believe what it says about you. Or even worse, you walk away and you forget who you are. In Christ. If you're not going to forget it, you've got to be reminded of it constantly. You've got to hear it constantly. You've got to receive it constantly. We don't receive God's love at the moment of salvation and then just live the rest of our lives without receiving it. We receive it daily, moment by moment. We constantly receive it. God is constantly fighting for us just that we could receive the identity that Jesus gives us. When we receive it, we can live out of it. Don't look into God's perfect word and forget what you look like. If you're in Christ, you've been fitted. He's covered you in his righteousness and he's secured you in his truth and you're ready to go and carry the message of the gospel to a broken world. There's nothing else left for him to give us. Now we just grow in what he's already given us. Last week, we gave you some scriptures to take home, and you were to take those scriptures home and write a letter from God to you. And those scriptures were the starting point. It was scriptures about who you are in Christ. And, And I hope a lot of you did it 
What I'm finding though, and, 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 and hear my heart in this, is that a lot of people like to come in on Sunday morning, be told who they are in Christ, have an emotional breakthrough, but then not go home and do the hard work that it takes to stay liberated in Christ. I'd encourage you to write that letter because that letter becomes a toolbox. It becomes a piece of your armament that you use. You gotta go to the word of God. You gotta read it. You gotta see it. You gotta know consistently who you are. You take that letter. I still read the letter I wrote to myself daily. I read it between services. I walked back there and I saw all y'all and I was like, I gotta go read that letter. Because it tells me who I am. I know who I am and it sets me free. You've got to begin to read it. God is fighting for you. We're in a fight. You've got to know how to fight. We fight with the armor of God. The last part of that story I want to tell you is when I went running home like a whipped puppy, I ran and I knocked on the door of the house. I'm bawling. I'm screaming. My dad comes to the door and he's like, what happened to you? I'm like, I couldn't even talk, right? And he just grabs me by the arm. He finally gets enough out of me to know what happened. He grabs me by the arm. And I don't know if you were little and and like your dad or somebody grabbed you by the arm and they started pulling you. And and then all of a sudden it's like you were walking, but you're kind of just like this, you know, like up on your tiptoes. That's what we were doing. And we walk down the driveway and we start walking down the road. I'm like, where are we going? Why are we doing this? We've got a car. Can't we drive? He was so mad. He just grabs me by the arm and we go and we walk all the way up to this boy's house. And I looked up in the window and he was looking out the window when we got there. I was like, this ain't going to be good. I know my dad, and I see that look in his eyes. This is going to be bad. He knocks on the door of the house. That kid's dad comes to the door. And my dad, holding me by the arm, says, let me tell you something. This is, he didn't say, hello, how you doing? My name's Jeff. Nothing. He said this, let me tell you something. If I ever see your son near my son again, I'm going to find you. I'm going to clean this up. I'm going to find you and I'm going to whip your tail. And the guy goes, well, I just, he goes, you don't understand me. There's nothing else to be said. Just understand. I see your son near my son and I'm going to find you. He had nothing else he could say. Is that not awesome? And then, granted, we're a little bit redneck. But is it not awesome to have a father who would defend his child? I feel the same way about my kids. I was ready to find a boy's daddy at the Statesboro High football game the other day. He was about a foot taller than day. He started bowing up at day. I was like, oh, no, 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 no. Go get your daddy, son. Preacher, no preacher. This is about to go down. But I love my child. I'm going to fight for my child. And I want you to understand, God is fighting for you. He fought for you by giving his best for you, by giving his own for you. He gave up his son that you could be set free, that you could know freedom. And he won the war. Amen. I got kids amen in me everywhere. Now you can win the battle, but you win it. By remembering who your father is. You remember, you win it by remembering what he's done for you. And you live out of that love. 
Our God is not some sissy. Jesus is not some teddy bear hugging, you know, sissy. If you, guys, if you sleep with a teddy bear, I'm sorry, but I'm just saying. He is mighty and he is powerful. In the book of Revelation 19, it says when he comes back, he comes back wearing a, 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 a robe dripped in blood or dipped in blood. Double-edged sword coming out of his mouth. He uses to judge the nations. He's riding a white horse. On his thigh, he's got Lord of Lord and King of Kings written. Sounds like a tattoo to me. And he comes back for one last time of kicking Satan's butt. And if you're his child, you've won the war. I win the battle by just trusting in what Jesus says and the truth of his word. That's his invitation, not just now, not just at the end of a service. It'd be easy, wouldn't it? If we had the worship team, they just followed us around singing how he loves all the time. Or Matt just followed you around with a keyboard, playing that music all behind you. It'd be so easy. But the invitation just isn't now. It's every day. It's every second. We live in the presence of his glory. That we who are imperfect, made perfect through the blood of Christ. Can be set free in the truth of a better story. And we can we can do this, guys, and we can transform the face of the earth. I'm telling you, we can transform the face of the earth, not because of who we are, because of who he is, not because of what we've done, but because of what he's done for us. win this the war is won let's win the battle let's pray God thank you so much that you won the war that you have set us free through Jesus that you've done such an awesome work God we are imperfect and yet the perfect came and gave his life took took our imperfection upon him God we can't fathom that I lift my hands and I sing God about your love and yet it's so hard sometimes to wrap my mind around God, I I want it to transform my mind, but let me live out of it in my heart. I pray for the person here today. In fact, I want to ask you today, you are here and you're in a battle. You need the Lord and you need to hear the truth. You need it to be spoken into your heart and you need to receive it. And you say today, I just need somebody to pray for me right now. Right where you are, I want you to raise your hand. You put your hand up so we can pray for you right now. You're in a battle. You need prayer. Listen, bad people don't need prayer. All people need prayer. You need prayer today. Raise your hand. In fact, when this service is over, you can go to my left, your right, and you can walk out these double doors, and there'll be people there to pray with you. We'd love to pray with you. And right now, I'm going to pray for you and pray for the battle because if you're in Christ, the war is won, and the battle for identity and truth is in your heart. Lord, I thank you for them. I thank you for those who said, yeah, I need... I need prayer. I need to receive it. I need to hear it. I need to know it. It needs to be in my heart. I pray they would sink deep into their hearts, God, that they would open your word and they would see who you are and see who they are in you, God. Thank you that you bridged the gap that we could not bridge between us and you. Thank you that your life is in us, God. I pray that your word would get in us. It would live in us so that it can live out of us, God. Give them peace. Give them strength. Give them courage to walk. I thank you, God, that for your people, no weapon formed against us prospers because you've given us the armament to 
win. Last question, we're going to go and we're going to baptize some people. Here today, and all of this talk about being in Christ is great, but you know I'm not in Christ. I don't have faith in Christ. But today the Lord spoke to my heart and I want to receive the invitation that Jesus has given me. Right now, right where you are, I want you to raise your hand and I want you to put it in the air and just say, I need Jesus. I need Jesus in my life. I need to know him. I want to know Christ. Will you put your hand in the air high where we can see it so we can celebrate? I see one hand. Amen. Let's see two hands. Two hands. Two hands. Who else? Three. Who else? Four. Five. Amen. Amen. Hey, listen, 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 listen. We're about to celebrate this and we're about to celebrate baptism. This is what I'm going to ask you. You just took a huge step and you raised your hand and you said, I need Jesus. But I'm going to ask you to do something. And and listen, I know some of you don't know me very well. I'm going to ask you to trust me. Right now, as we close in prayer, I'm going to ask you, please get out of your seat and let our prayer team talk to you. They, they, They love you. They love God. They want to help you take your next step. This is your first step. That's the only step you need to take. We want to help you take the rest. When I close in prayer, will you please just get up? Listen, if you're in an aisle and you're in the middle of an aisle and there are 15 people around you, they will applaud you to go. That's what this church is about, is seeing people go from death to life and live out of the life of Jesus. So when I pray, you go, please let us walk this out with you. Don't let this be something that just fades away. Let us walk with you through this. God, thank you again for your truth. God, I pray you would move these people. God, I pray right now that if somebody's sitting next to somebody that raised their hand and they saw their hand go up, that they would just reach over and say, hey, I'll walk with you. In fact, just do that. Just reach over and say, I'll go with you. I'll go with you. Let's go. Let's go pray. And you just get up and go with them and you walk out of here. God, I thank you for the truth that has been spoken into their heart. I thank you for salvation. I thank you that you set us free. I thank you for life in Jesus. God, I pray that that would be implanted deep within us and that we just continue to grow. I thank you for the identity you've given us and the identity that we're growing into. I thank you, God, for life, for life, life abundant, Jesus. We love you, Lord, and we praise you for loving us. In Christ's name, amen.